Holy Week is the most celebratory and sobering week of the entire Christian year. It literally redefines success. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself, what is success for my life? Or ask yourself, what does God say is success for my life? There are a lot of definitions of success in the world. You know, some people would say success is just, you keep on going no matter what. You don't let, you don't let failure, you know, stop you and so on and so forth. You know, Winston Churchill has one of my favorite quotes. This is, this is what he said. He says, success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. I, just, I love that quote. <clears throat> so for him, success is perseverance. There are other people who kind of gauge it by a score. You know, I mean, you know when you win and when you lose. And success is when you win. And, 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 and uh, Vince Lombardi was like this, a famous quote of Vince Lombardi. Winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. So there are some people who gauge their success by their outright circumstances, their outward circumstances. That's how they gauge it. There are other people who gauge success by what has happened to their life. It's a more personal, transformational issue. Zig Ziglar said this. He said, the foundation stones for a balanced success are honesty, character, integrity, faith, love, and loyalty. In other words, success is who I become. But you've got to stop and say, what would God say is success for my life? Holy Week tells us that. First of all, I want you to understand we are called to be the church. That's why we're here. And the Greek word for church is ekklesia. Ekklesia means, um, it, it comes from the Greek word ek, the prefix ek, which means out of, out, or, and, and, klesia, kaleo. Comes from the word kaleo, it means to call. And so we are the called out ones. And since we're called out together, it's kind of a parade. But you gotta ask yourself, what's the parade about? Where's the parade going? What's the parade for? What's the point? You go back all the way into our beginnings as a faith community, and the first time God formed a people for himself, a particular and peculiar people, he worked through Abram. And this is what he did. In, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. He didn't know where we were going. He just knew there was going to be a parade. And there was a lot of them. Abram was a wealthy man, a lot of relatives. And so they went out. And this is what the Lord said. And I will make of you a great nation. I'll make your name great. And you'll be a blessing. And in verse 3 it says this. And every family of the earth will be blessed through you. Can you imagine the excitement? I mean, of being, I, 
We're going to be a blessing. We're going to be a blessing to the whole world. This is awesome. What's it going to take? About a week and a half? We're so into it. We're so, you can imagine the excitement and the joy and the celebration. Years later, that parade had taken what seemed like a really bad turn. The parade had funneled them all into slavery. For 400 years, those people were slaves in Egypt. And then the Lord came again. And he said to Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. And I want you to free my people. In essence, I'm, I'm going to create another parade here. And the Pharaoh's going to change his mind a lot, but I'll finally get him to let them go. And you understand that when that plague, that determining plague, where the angel of death passed over the Hebrew people, and killed the firstborn of all the rest of creation in Egypt. They commemorated that. That's what we do Thursday with the Seder dinner. That was Jesus' last supper. That was the Passover meal. And it commemorated, watch this, not only the exodus from death, but from slavery. In our case, slavery to sin. And so, here's another parade. And God says to them, it's not going to be easy. It says in Exodus 13, verse 17 and 18, Now when the Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, the people might change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. In other words, the challenge might be too great for them. So... He led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in a martial array. I want you to remember this. They marched up from the land of Egypt. Now, what happened when they got there? Not even a couple days later, not even half a chapter from chapter 13 to chapter 14 of Exodus, they turn around and here come the Egyptians. And then they turn on Moses. And they say, wait a minute, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you would bring us out here to dig graves? Years later, they're about to take the promised land. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 11 it says this then the Lord said to me arise proceed on your journey ahead of the people that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them can you imagine the excitement now we have the excitement of the original parade we have the excitement of the exodus from slavery now we have the excitement of taking the promised land can you imagine the celebration some of you know what it is to be in a parade of people you know. When I was growing up, we had parades in Shelby, Ohio. As a matter of fact, most Midwestern towns had parades. Uh, did any of you grow up in a town where they had a parade? 
Yeah, where you knew the people in the parade. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about then, you know? Our biggest parade every year was the Memorial Day Parade. Everybody in Shelby came to the Memorial Day Parade. And it was all of the pageantry Shelby could produce. I mean, it was, it was something to behold. They'd start, of course, started out with the, with the old guys from World War II trying to squeeze into their uniforms. They were the honor guard, you know. They walked up in a martial way, and half of them could hear and half of them couldn't, but it didn't matter because they all had guns. That was the, that was the main thing, you know. And, 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 whoop, whoop, whoop. and then after them, uh, they had the, the marching band. Shelby Whippin marching band. We had a great band. And some of you remember your high school marching band. They were really good. And then they had the middle school band. And in some cases, the sixth grade band. And then, in a really good year, we could get the Shriners. I mean, this was a big deal. Because every little town in the Midwest wanted the Shriners to come. And when we scored the Shriners, buddy, that was it. They rode, they had these little motorcycles, they rode figure eights, and we said, this is living right here, boy. This is pageantry. We got the Shriners. And of course, after the Shriners, there was, you know, all, there were the horses and the vintage cars, um, and then, and then, uh, oh, the scouts. Scout. We had Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and Cub Scouts and Brownies. All... And, and here's the piece de resistance. Anybody could be in the parade. If you had a bike and you had crepe paper, you could decorate that bike, be in a parade. If you had a dog, you could dress up the dog, be in the parade. It was, it was the most sabotage, and of course everybody came, brought their lawn chairs, set up all up and down Main Street. Put kids on their shoulders, you know, waved, clapped, took pictures. Back then you had to have a, you know, a real camera. Took pictures. Oh, it was great. It's great. However, if you know about the parades in the Bible, you'll know that there is a point that every one of them ran into that seemed like a dream-ending disaster. For example, when Abram came out, God said, I will make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky, as many as the grains of sand on the sea. But there was a problem. Sarai, his wife, was barren. She was like 90 years old. And the Lord comes and says, you know what, I, I'm going to give you a son next year. And Sarai laughed. Why? Because she was 90 stinking years old. And her womb was dead. Her womb was a tomb. And everyone knows new life can't come from a tomb, right? When the exodus happened, just as I had recited to you before, 
they got out there and they said, oh, terrific. Now, we don't get to dig our own graves in Egypt. Now, we get to dig our own graves in the wilderness. You brought us out here so that we could die. Because everybody knows there isn't life beyond the grave. Everybody knows when the grave arrives, you're done for, right? When they went into the promised land, the Lord said, I want you to send in a posse, a scouting posse. And I want you to spy out the land. Only they didn't hear the Lord right. They didn't go on in and look at the land. They went in and looked at the inhabitants. They went and looked at the people. Now, let me just tell you something. When you are divert, uh, uh, detoured from doing what the Lord told you to do to accomplish the dream he gave you and you start comparing yourself to people, you start comparing the challenges to your capabilities, you will become discouraged every time. And that's exactly what happened. They go in and there are huge people inhabiting that land. And they know to take over that land, it's impossible. They're going to die. Now, two out of the party, Joshua and Caleb said, wait a minute, you're comparing the wrong stuff. You're not supposed to compare us to them. You're supposed to compare them to God. It's not about our capability or their capability, it's about his capability. So they had no, no doubt that God could do this. But the rest of them said, no, going to die. If we try this, we're going to die. And if we, draw, if we die, the dream ends, right? Hundreds of years later, there's another parade. It's called Palm Sunday these days. It's when we finally get it right. We finally understand who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, and yes, there's some confusion as to whether he's military or whether he's political or whether he's spiritual. There's some confusion, yes, but, but finally they say, this is the guy that can save us. And just a snippet of that story says in Luke chapter 19, verses 35 through 37, they brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and they put it put Jesus on it, and as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives. Now, stop right here. I think Pastor Matt told you this last week. Many of you have been here. Many of you have been on top of the descent of the Mount of Olives, and you know how steep that is, and you know the winding, narrow road that goes through what? A cemetery. A cemetery. The whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all of the miracles which they had seen. And they began to shout, Hoshoshana. We've anglicized that to Hosanna, but it's Hoshoshana. Lord, save us now. But there was a problem. And if you know the rest of the story, you know what the problem was. The parade ended at the cemetery. Did I tell you 
that not all of the Shelby Parade was conducted on Memorial Day on Main Street. There came a point in the town when we turned from Maine onto, this is literally the name of the street, Gamble. And we proceeded to the cemetery because that's where a Memorial Day parade proceeds. Now I gotta tell you, not everybody went to the cemetery. Matter of fact, only about 30% of the people ended up at the cemetery. You know why? Because people like the celebration part. They want to feel good. They, they want to see their kids. They want to participate together in a parade. They just, they just want, you know, it's just nice to cheer with others and to be called into something larger. And, and, and why end that with talk of death, with talk of sacrifice? I mean, why would you want to spoil it? But the ones who went to the cemetery were the ones who knew the reason for the parade. I went every year because my stepdad was part of that honor guard. And there was always a, a platform and a program at the cemetery, and we never got it right. I mean, this is Shelby, Ohio, for crying out loud. It was never, it was never much to look at. I, I, it, was, it was mistake after mistake. The mayor would get up, and the mayor was a terrible speaker, because he didn't have to be a good speaker back then. He shook a lot of hands, and he got a bit elected. So he'd give a speech, you know, and he'd be shaking, you know, and then he'd go off and, you know, shake his head. And every year, one of the kids got up and recited the Gettysburg Address. I can't remember one year where one kid got that right. One year, a little girl got up and got in the middle of it, threw up. She just threw up. I'll never forget as long as I live, you know. It was her worst day. Every little boy thought that was the coolest thing they'd ever seen. <laughs> Couldn't stop talking about that. And the scouts, you know, the, the colors would pass by and the scouts would stand at attention. And every year, the scoutmaster would say, don't lock your knees. Because when you lock your knees, it cuts off circulation. And every year you'd see this. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> and so every year, out of the program, you'd get this evaluation of how I did in the parade. That became the focus. And the majorettes would be crying if they missed the baton when they threw them up three times and they'd say, oh, I've ruined the whole thing. I've ruined the parade. And they'd be crying inconsolable. And the little girl who threw up, I've ruined everything. And the boy who fainted, the scout who ruined everything. As if the parade was all about their performance. As if the parade was about how well they did, as if it was about the parade at all. I can't remember what year it was that I first understood the reason for the parade. I was standing there in the cemetery and somebody was talking 
giving a speech. And for the first time, I heard, we're here because there have been people who have died so that we could stand here, so that we could have the life we have. I don't know, how did I miss that? My father is buried in that cemetery. He's one of those with his little American flag on his tombstone. How could I have missed it? And it hit me like a two before. Wait a minute. Somebody died so that I could have this life? That's not right. Wait a minute. There were people who didn't even know me who died and there was something in me that wanted to say, no, don't, don't. I'll, I'll be responsible for myself. I'll pay my own price. But it was too late. They had already given me that gift. I don't know when it was that I began to realize that that sacrifice traced its way back to Calvary. Greater men hath no, greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. All of the sacrifices of the military men and women who died to give us freedom were an echo of what Jesus Christ had done on Calvary. And everything in me said it shouldn't have been. Innocent blood should not have been shed for me, but it was too late. I was already loved. I was already valued. It was already done. You see, every great parade ends in a cemetery. Every great dream comes with what looks to be a dream-ending disaster. And that's what Holy Week takes us through because it turns out not to be a disaster at all. It turns out to be a part of a victory that could not have happened without that disaster. You know where Becky and I were last week? We were in Portugal and we were meeting. We belong to a network of senior pastors throughout the globe and, and there were represented in this meeting senior pastors from about 50 countries. And these are the senior pastors of the largest and most influential churches around the world. And we just got this great friendship and we get together and we tell stories about what God's doing. And one afternoon we stood and we listened to the pastors, watch this, of Europe. 
Now, everybody knows that Christianity in Europe is dead, right? Everybody knows the church is dead. Everybody knows you have these huge buildings and these little, tiny congregations of people who are older than I am, who are just trying to hang on to the old ways. The church is dead, right? <laughs> Except it's not. You'll never hear this on the news. Let, let me tell you what we heard. Pastors <clears throat> from Europe got up. Evangelical pastors got up from Norway and from Sweden and from Finland and from Russia and from Ukraine and from Germany. And, and they began to tell the story of what was happening with the refugees. You read this in the news, don't you? Hundreds of thousands of refugees are fleeing into Europe. They're Muslims. And they're running for their lives. The overwhelming majority are Muslims running for their lives. And everybody around the world is thinking, including the Europeans, oh, great. If Christianity wasn't dead before, this will surely nail the nail in the coffin. Because now Europe will be Islamized. Only that's not what's happening. The church called to be the arms and feet and heart of Jesus Christ are welcoming these refugees. The government doesn't know what to do with them. The government's saying, stop. We can't take. So they're turning to the church. And the church has set up what we would understand in our, in our history as an underground railroad. And these slaves are just, are just trying to go from safe place to safe place, from church to church, until they can go into all of Europe. And when they get here, get there, the church is opening their arms, not trying to convert anybody, just feeding and clothing and loving and supplying people with what they need. But you know what's happening? Thousands of people are coming to Christ because they're running, yeah. We saw pictures of untold people, I, just in, in baptismal robes. And, and, and it's, it's a natural process because they keep going, wait a minute, who hates us and is trying to kill us? Wait a minute, who is welcoming us? Who loves us no matter what? So what is happening, what looks like a dream-ending disaster, oh, for hundreds of years, missionaries went out and tried to create a Christian Europe. And then it looked like it was dead. The dream was gone. And it was even more dead with all the Muslims flooding into Europe. But in God's sovereignty... Those Muslims are coming and hearing about the love of Jesus Christ they never would have heard about if they just stayed where they were. Never. Now watch. And not only is that happening, but the church is awakening and coming up to the challenge. The church is being the church. The church is coming back to Jesus Christ. God is re-Christianizing the church. Do you understand? 
You think it's a tomb. You think it's dead. It's not dead. It's not dead. We spend most of our lives, don't we? We spend most of our lives evaluating how we're doing in the parade. I mean, just like that day, those poor majorettes and mayor and scouts and just, oh, I could have, I could have done so much better. All of us do this. I do this. I cannot remember a sermon I've ever walked away from that the voices haven't come. You could have done that better. If you'd have studied harder, if you used more humor or less humor or more stories or less stories, if you would have, if you would have, you could have, and that lasts for about 10 seconds. And then I realize the parade is not about me. It's not about my performance. The Lenten season is when we say, you know, I, I, I've got some things in my life that I need to correct so that I can love better, so that I can love people better and God better. And that's good. That's good. But that self-evaluation can never turn into self-condemnation or you've missed the entire point. You're already loved. There's nothing you can do to ruin it. There's nothing you can do to ever take it away. Somebody has already died for you because they loved you ahead of time. That's the reason for the parade. <laughs> it's not about us. It's about him. I knew there are a lot of us who come to church because we want to be better people. And I love that. That's good. I know there are a lot of us who gather together because we need encouragement, because we've had a bad day, and I understand that. And that's nothing to be condemned. I know there are a lot of us who just love the atmosphere of the church. There's an old Pentecostal preacher <laughs> who I knew one time he lived, he, he was preached for like 50 years and he, and, he's, and he's talking about charismatic churches and he said, you know, he said, I know entire churches that worship praise and they praise worship, but they have yet to focus on Jesus Christ. I know we like the experience, but if we look to the experience, either our experience or the church's experience, we've missed the point. The point is Jesus. It's always been Jesus and what he's done for us and what can't be conquered. In John 12, 21, there are people who come to the disciples, specifically to Philip, and they say, sir, we want to see Jesus. And that would be my prayer for all of us this week. That despite how your life is going, 
whether you're standing in the middle of your own cemetery or you're just striking up the band to proceed with a parade, you'll understand the reason for it all. And you'll understand there's nothing you can do to mess it up, to ruin it. You are loved with an unconquerable love. And the one, that innocent person who died for us to give us the life we don't deserve, that innocent person who wove that theme into all creation, innocent blood must be shed so that new life can happen. You look, you look at any nature film and you'll see innocent blood being shed so that life can go on. It's woven into the fabric of all creation because it's what he did for us. And so he deserves the focus, doesn't he? He's the reason for the parade. Now, we're gonna do one more song here, but before we do that, I wanna pray. And those of you who want to shout in your heart, Hoshoshana, Jesus, you're my savior. You're the only savior I have. You want to refocus on that savior and you want to shout with your heart, Hoshoshana, you're my savior. I want you to stand and pray with me so that we can refocus on Christ. Some of you will stand for the first time. This is the first time you've ever proclaimed Christ as your savior. And as you stand, I want you to know he's all you'll ever need. He's paid not only for your sin, but he delivers you from the slavery of your sin. And so bow with me. God, help us to remember that you're the reason for the parade. It's not about the parade or how we did from day to day. It's about you. And even though some of us are looking at or in the middle of or have lived through dream-ending disasters, we know it doesn't stop with the tomb. It doesn't stop with the cross. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. So help us to praise you, Jesus. Help us to trust you as our Savior today and our Savior forever. We can never thank you enough that you would shed your blood so that we could have eternal life. But we're going to focus on you praising you and reverencing you and pledging that we will always walk with you. Amen.